E... Production time. I'm Reed Stefan, realist puppet in the game. Let's hey. go. <laughs> nice to have you on the show, man. Thank you, man. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, Both of you guys. Yeah, I'm super pumped. For those of you guys who don't know, uh, Reed has a killer YouTube channel, uh, has a bunch of top level information. And, you know, it's not just, you know, your basic tutorials and stuff. The stuff he knows is literally stuff that, you know, our production team's looking at for little tips and stuff, has a bunch of high end placements and somebody who's done a lot in the industry. That's why we were excited to get you on the show, honestly. Yeah, absolutely. The time that I spend working on music is just important as the time that I spend giving back to the music community. So I'm happy when I get to do both. Yeah, no, that's awesome. So, uh, so you want to go ahead and maybe, uh, tell the audience a little bit, some of your, you know, placements or different records you've worked on. Yeah, absolutely. I produced mostly within dance music and hip hop music this year. For example, I had some songs come out with Travis Barker. I did a lot of rap production with him. Uh, one with the suicide boys, some upcoming stuff with young thug and Travis Barker, Uno, the activist, and uh, Greedo too. Bunch of really good rappers that I worked, I got to work with through Travis Barker. And I was doing beat making and production. And Kara and I also had some really big cuts this year with Alan Walker and Steve Aoki. We did writing on their song, Are You Lonely? There's been a whole lot of stuff within the DJ community that we have vocal produced or written for people or done production for. So I'm not just a music producer too. I have writing credits and production credits and I help people conceptualize projects from the ground up, or I take projects that are almost finished and just do the last 10%. So I try and have my hands on every step of the way. So you also do uh, Whole Loops too. You want to tell us about that? Yeah. And Whole Loops is my loops and samples company. And it started out as loops and samples. And then in 2016 or 17, I think 17, we dropped our first sauce, which became our best selling product. And that is an Ableton audio effect rack. The first one we did was lead vocal sauce and that's a year old, but it's still our best selling product. And we also have a number of drum kits for hip hop producers, Latin music producers, pop producers, loop samples, vocals, guitar loops. We try and hit everything that I would need to put on a song together and just give it out to you guys as a product. So they really started out as things that I needed for myself and things that I would use every day. And then they became products and Whole Loops was just a great way to wrap it all together and also present it to the world in an educational fashion, not just here's a product, it's here's a product and here's how to use it. Yeah, that's what I love about your tutorial so much is like the, uh, especially the vocal sauce ones that I get so much, even if I don't buy the product, you know what I mean? Yep. And at the end of the day, that value is so important. Yeah. Yeah. It took me a long time to understand what to do with a raw vocal. And now that I have lead vocal sauce, it's so quick. You just drop it on there, adjust one of the eight knobs, and you're really ready to go. So the sauces are definitely a major tool for me and for everybody who follows the channel. So that's whole loops. Dude, that, that's crazy how much things you have like your hands in, in, in the music industry. I mean, because a lot of people doing YouTube or doing any one thing aren't able to actually juggle all the different types of things. You know what I'm saying? Yep. I actually like doing it that way. I would probably get bored of doing the same thing every day. So having a constant cycle of things to work on keeps me fresh, keeps me excited in the morning and uh, keeps me busy all the way throughout the day until I go to sleep. Dude, that's the same thing me and Drew say about our jobs. Like we're so happy that we get to like, you know, one day going to go, you know, go to some like little tour event that we set up one day, like Drew's got people in the studio. Another day we're sitting down talking production on the podcast. Like, dude, I think having that freedom is like the beauty of like 2020 and like the way 
the, the things are starting to shape out, you know? It's the dream. Honestly, yeah. it's the reason I like the behind the scenes stuff too, is you're not tied down to that yep. crazy tour life. Like I hear so many people say how exhausted they are every day. Yeah, believe shit. it or not, before the YouTube channel, I was actually a touring DJ. Oh, wow. Um, a lot of people knew me from that first, and then they found my tutorials. Um, and then my tutorials became so popular that they actually probably overshadowed even my DJ work. Mm -hmm. But I definitely got a taste of that tour life, and I loved it. But doing that every single day was a little bit limiting for me because at the end of the day, you do your show, but the whole day leading up to it, you're not really getting too much done. So I fell in love with the ability to get stuff done all day long. Um, so touring it really wasn't for me. I became more of a studio person. What, how, how long have you been, uh, like when did you first get into production? <sighs> Let's see, 2007 or eight probably was the beginning of my production career. And I started out, actually, if anybody remembers DJ Ridiculous on YouTube, there was a lot of top 40 remixes from 2010 through 2012 that I posted as DJ Ridiculous. And that actually got me understanding YouTube, which is why down the road when I wanted to make tutorials, it just felt natural to attack YouTube because I already remembered how to use it from back when I was making bootleg remixes. But YouTube took all those down and my channel got a bunch of strikes. So that whole idea kind of got squashed by uh, YouTube changes. But now I use YouTube for educational stuff, which I enjoy much more anyways. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I think that, you know, a lot of people have these projects that they pursued at first. And I think the reason I don't never discourage people like taking on random stuff, even if it doesn't work. I mean, dude, those become like you learn something on each of one of those failed projects. Absolutely. Like me and Drew have done all kinds. Even if it's outside of music, it could be anything. Like yep. starting a random Instagram page or whatever. Yeah, Drew, I mean, Drew used to have uh, Dreadlock Paradise. It was way back. <laughs> Instagram with 40,000 followers? It was like 50,000. But That was before. That was when it was like, that's a, you know, a yeah, this is a, Yeah, this is, this is forever ago. So, yeah. Uh, I want to get down to the nitty gritty a little bit. Uh, let's do it. So, let's just start with what's your favorite compression plugins? Ooh, favorite compression plugins. I'm gonna I'm gonna go for a classic and a brand new one too. Awesome. Because I'm really a fan of both. If we're talking classics, you really can't be Arvox by Waves. And they actually just came out with a new version of it. It sounds the same, but it looks really cool. Um, so for the classic, I would say my favorite compressor would be Arvox. On the new side, there's this company called JST that stands for Joey Sturgis Tones. Check out Gain Reduction. There's Gain Reduction 1 and 2. They're both really disrespectful compressors that I have in my vocals template, which means they're pretty much on every mix. Once a plugin makes it into my vocals template, that plugin's pretty much getting used in most mixes. So the two that are always there are Vox and uh, what's it called? Gain Reduction. And for hardware, obviously the TubeTech CL1B. Awesome. Uh, let's, let's just go with another one. What's your favorite uh, EQ plugins? Ooh, favorite EQ plugins. If I'm trying to get nitty gritty and do something specific, I'll use FabFilter Pro Q3 because of how much you can do with it. It's so fucking good. But if I just want something to be brighter, I'm going to pull up an EQ plugin that doesn't have too many knobs like a Pultec or something that doesn't have so many options because I know that I'm just looking for bright. I'm not looking for 50 different flavors of bright or frequencies between here and here. I just want bright. So Pultec is really good for that. And... Mag, M-A-A-G, I think it's called. Their EQ is amazing mm. for uh, just simple user interface. Great. Can't beat it. Yeah. Do you have a favorite go-to synth? My favorite go-to synth would be my Roland Phantom. And that's a really old analog synth. I can't, I, I guess really old is an overstatement. It's from 2001 or two or so. And 
it's just got the greatest library. It's like contact in a box, but it sounds way better. And the keys on the keyboard just feel amazing. So my Roland Phantom gets used on every song, even though that thing is like two decades old. And for software synths, definitely Serum. Serum just does the most for me. And I like sound design and Serum gives me the most options for sound design. So can't say anything is better than Serum at the moment for software synths. So do you actually play piano? I play a little bit, just enough to understand how to put a song together. But by the time the song gets put together, I wouldn't really be able to sit there and play the whole thing on the piano. Yeah, that makes I sense. use my piano as an input tool, not so much as like a performance tool. Mm-hmm. So I use my piano all day long, but I'm not sitting there doing something that someone would consider piano playing. So yes and no. So uh, I got a question. So you're like one of those producers who are extremely technical, uh, can make this stuff sound really great to like actually achieve that level of skill. Obviously, you've been doing it, you know, 10 plus years. Yeah. Uh, what recommendation do you have for newer producers to get that point? Is there a certain grinding phase where they should only focus on, you know, learning all the technical aspects? Is there a set of things that they should kind of be doing on the day to day? Like, what would you recommend for newer producers to build that technical skill? Because I feel like a lot of times producers try to skip that and go straight to releasing music. Yeah. And you, the shit's not sounding right. You know yeah, it's so, definitely a tough time to release music because it's so simple to make your song sound good nowadays with all the help that's out there on the internet. First of all, Serum comes with amazing presets. Drum kits usually sound good nowadays. It's pretty hard to find a drum kit that sounds really bad. So you're starting with really good sounds. So the skill comes in to where you select the sounds. Which sounds do you choose to work together? Because if you choose sounds that clash, it's going to be a really tough mix down. If you choose sounds that fill up their own specific parts of the spectrum and they don't overlap sonically too much, then you're going to have a really easy time mixing. So I would say there are so many good sounds at your disposal that it comes down to personal taste, which ones you choose to work together. And if you've done a good job with your sound selection, putting a song together, it pretty much mixes itself. Um, Now, is sound quality being the main part of the question, obviously that comes down to mixing. So if you're a music producer, you want to practice your mixing, and that doesn't mean just mix your songs. Maybe mix somebody else's song. Maybe take a song that your friend made that you think you can make more bumping or whatever it is and try and mix it yourself because that's a great way to collaborate with somebody. You don't have to musically collaborate with somebody to be a creator. When I mix songs for people, I feel like I'm a part of that band, I guess you could say, or a part of that DJ group for that project. Mm -hmm. If a DJ duo asks me to mix their song, I feel like the third member of that group for the time that I'm doing it. Uh, That's how creatively involved mixing can be and should be. So practice your mixing is a really great skill to practice separate from your producing. So I recommend mixing other people's songs if you can, or seeing if you could take someone's song to another level that might be finished just by changing the mix a little bit. And those skills will translate really well into your production abilities because you'll recognize things that sound good and you'll start picking those good sounding sounds as you put the song together. Yeah. And for the, for the audience, because a lot of people, I kid you not, man, a lot of people get this confused and I think you could explain it very well for people. Could you explain the difference between mixing and mastering? Cause I think a lot of people, I kid you not, are confusing one. For and the, the fact other. that people should not be focused on mastering uh, all the time. Exactly. Songs. Yeah. Mixing and mastering are absolutely two separate things. Um, if you're talking about a single that's probably when it gets confusing. If you're talking about an album, obviously mastering for the most part would be making all of the songs sound good together as a collection of work. Um, That's the most easy example of how mastering is really its own art because it's more about how the songs interact with one another, not how the sounds interact within 
a single song. For mixing, that's really about how loud everything is, whether it's panned left or panned right, distorted, bright or dark, reverbed or dry. Um, and it's really just a balance of all of those different things. Um, whereas mastering more is about making a song sound right with other ones. So mixing is more about the sounds within the song. Mastering is more about how that finished song sounds against other finished songs. So uh, what's one easy mixing tip that you could give somebody and it would instantly improve their mix? Don't solo stuff. That's a great one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What's the point? No one's ever going to hear your vocal soloed. So why are you mixing your vocal soloed? Um, so yeah, avoid soloing stuff whenever you can. That's easy. Number one tip really, uh, not that helpful of, it seems helpful, uh, but in the grand scheme of things, it's not as helpful. Awesome. No, I think that's awesome because I, I think that's a mistake that a lot of newer producers make. Yeah. You know? It's all about how they work together. That's what mixing is making sounds work together. So obviously if you're soloing one sound and ignoring all the other ones, mm -hmm. you're missing the point. So, so you're mentioning that sample selection is, or sound selection is one of the most important things. Is there any things that you can recommend for the audience for like training the ear? Yeah, I think listening to music is obviously the most important. I would assume most people are already listening to music. Um, but listen to it with a specific sound designer's ear. Um, or try and find songs where people used the same sounds. I think listening for sound design and listening for what styles of drum samples were used are going to be a great way for you to kind of take that influence and apply it into your own music. If you notice that someone is using really acoustic sounding snares over their electronic music, that might be a major part in why their music sounds so different. Like a lot of trap producers would use a traditional trap snare. Maybe someone uses a more acoustic home recording as a snare. Uh, something like that might have gone right over your head the first time you listen to the song because you're jamming out to the lyrics. But when you go back, try and uh, focus on something that's not supposed to be the main focus, like focus on the snare, focus on the pads in the background. You know, don't just focus on the lyrics. This is probably one of the most misunderstood things for everybody. We get this question 30 times a day. Uh, how do you like to mix your kick and 808 together? Because there's a thousand different Ooh. philosophies. No or no side chain. Yep. Use side chain. What you like, like just everything about mixing kicks and 808s. Kicks and 808s are really tough to get to work together because obviously they fill the same part of the speaker. You know, they both use the subwoofer and that's not a part of the speaker that plays nice when it comes time to share. You're not going to get the 808 and the kick to really share a space too well. You're going to have to figure out a sneaky way to give one precedence at a time. Something that I always do is once I'm finished producing my song, I flatten it all out to audio stems. I usually produce using MIDI channels. So when I'm done, flatten it all the audio. You can zoom in and take a look at every kick and you can cut a little hole in the 808 stem where the short kick happens. And it sounds like you're, you'd be chopping up your 808 and it would be ruining it. But if you do a really quick little cut and a nice fade so that the kick perfectly fills the hole that you cut in the 808, you really don't even need any plugins. You don't need to sidechain it. You don't need to EQ it. You don't need to multiband anything. You've just physically created a hole in the bass for your kick to go in. That's my favorite, favorite way that I do to most mm -hmm. mixes that I do for people. And are you just taking like for the kick, are you just taking that first little bit? Yeah. Like the tail end of it? Are you letting yep. that bleed a little bit? The transient or the attack of the kick is over uh, the hole. And then as the 808 fades back in, the kick fades out. 
So every kick kind of has like a little fade out. Usually kicks aren't rectangular looking. They're more triangular looking. So when the attack happens, the 808s cut out and the attack is happening over nothing, no competition. And then as the kick tails out, the 808 fades in and they should happen in a way where you don't hear it. Yeah. How do you feel about Kenny Beats saying stuff like, uh, like you just shouldn't sidechain ever your kicks and 808s? Because lately I've been doing it like that most of the time. It actually does sound good. If you find the right samples that work together, super hard though. I think opinions like that are really valid because I would imagine every single time he goes to make a beat, if if he were to try the side chain trick versus whatever trick he normally uses, he would probably like it. Yes, less. So that yeah, that's absolutely grounds to say, don't ever do this because if you're asking someone what they do, I think that's one of the only acceptable times to say, yeah, I never do this. Like if uh, people ask me if I like to track vocals with auto-tune running, I say, no, I never do that. That doesn't mean that you should never do that. That just means that I never do that. So I don't think there's any reason to feel any type of way when someone makes a uh, black and white statement, like you should always do this or you shouldn't do this. Because usually they're talking about their own workflow mm-hmm. and who's, who's to say that that's not the case in their workflow. Yeah, it's super interesting too, because like music is one of the only things you can just say, you can't say anything's black and white to be honest. Yep. It's so mm-hmm. much different. Yep. different uh, things you have to take. Yeah, there's not for. too many black and white rules in my workflow for sure. Especially if you look at it like as you keep expanding the timeline, especially when you look at like a 10 year, like look at the differences and what people believed was right and wrong in production 10 oh, years yeah. ago. Versus- what was right 10 years ago or what was wrong 10 years ago is right today. Clipping 10 years ago was wrong. Clipping 10 years, clipping today is awesome. So you, so this is a, this is a big thing for people. And I get comments about this shit all the time. You're clipping, you're in the red. It's so fucking annoying. So do you, what do you think about that? Uh, Red means that your song is hot. (laughs) (laughs) We see that so much. Those people are like, oh, your song drives me crazy. Usually they're, usually their songs are very quiet. I've noticed. Yep. I actually had Henry, you guys know Henry Fong. You guys had him on an earlier episode. Mm-hmm. He yeah, came yeah. over to my house yesterday and he showed me this trick. He's like, dude, I took my song and the master channel and I just turned it up plus one. And it was clipping one above zero, but it sounded good. So I just left it. I took the master and I turned it up one more decibel and it got one decibel louder and it was awesome. I've heard stuff like 10 this years from ago, people everybody. been like, oh, yeah. you couldn't do that. That's going <laughs> to clip. That means your song's going to clip and it's going to be broken and you did it wrong. But nowadays, if you didn't break it and do it wrong, then you pretty much did it wrong. Didn't it, didn't back in the day it uh, it actually calls issues with analog gear though? Is that why? Perhaps it was bad? I um I actually like the way analog gear sounds when you run it a little bit too hard. I've actually found that to be one of the more preferable features of analog gear that makes it worth all that extra money is the forgiveness factor that it gives you. If you're tracking a vocal and you clip it a little bit, it might actually sound cool. It adds a little bit of grit to it. It might sound horrible because it completely clips, but. I would say you have a lot more forgiveness when you're recording with analog gear versus just plugging a mic straight into your interface and then putting plugins on it. Dude, I feel like you're a fucking encyclopedia of production. So <laughs> I've done so it too while, many times. Yeah, I love just listening. I'm like, hell yeah. While we're on this topic, uh, I'm going to need your help convincing Steven to... Uh, $100,000 vocal? No, <laughs> no I want to get, I get, get the manly box box, the actual hardware unit. Ooh, yeah, that's a good choice. Yeah, I was thinking about getting it soon, but it's five grand, so... It's, a, it's, it's a big five boy. grand, but it gives you so much. Uh, it gives you a compressor, a DS or an EQ, uh, probably a whole bunch more stuff too. Um, so when you think of five grand for that, you're getting a whole lot in one yeah. box. Yeah, and definitely. Yeah, when, when you're a professional and it comes time to getting the best quality product, 
as quickly as possible, five grand is an easy expense because the finished product is worth so much more than that to you. Mm -hmm. And also hardware, people don't realize this is a really good investment because the value doesn't go down. You could, I bought a Juno 106. That thing was made in the eighties. I got it at a great deal. I bought it just to hold on to it and sell it in the future. Analog gear is a fantastic investment. It's not like a car where a new one comes out every year and the value goes down. It's a really great safe place to invest your money because down the road, you'll be able to sell it for even more than you paid for it. Dude, you know something crazy on that, dude? San Holo came in town. He had that little Yamaha. Yep. What was it? It was the Yamaha VSS 30, I believe. The little sampler keyboard. keyboard. And and essentially, um, so, you know, we're making a bunch of content. He's obviously using it in the content he talks about in the podcast. And literally that week, what what was the website? Uh, I think it's it's reverb.com maybe or something. Just a reselling I website. One of the, yeah, one of the reselling websites. The, the 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 there was a spike in price of those because like so times many people four, were trying times to, five. Yeah, oh, all, absolutely. But it was crazy how like the, because there's only limited supply, obviously, you know, because it was made a while back. But it was just hilarious to see like the content from that week literally spiked the price of this one piece of hardware. Like, absolutely, that happens all the time with microphones, with speakers, you see some famous mixing engineer using a pair of speakers and all of a sudden those speakers are sold out at every store. That's funny. Reed, do you want to hit this joint? Oh, absolutely. You got to, I might not be able, you got to reach over here and get big. Yeah, let's do it. (laughs) Don't don't get too sauced up on the podcast. That's right. I won't get too sauced up. I don't want to be drawing blanks on the game. <laughs> Starts talking about some nonsense. <laughs> Start talking about aliens. Dude, it's, it's funny. Dude, me, me and Drew, people people don't realize we work incredibly hard. But as you guys have seen, like half of our work session so far has been us just chilling. Yeah. It, but honestly, we're getting a lot done just chilling. Yeah, that's exactly. the beauty. That's the beauty of being a creative. You can get work done just by sitting there and being creative. Just brainstorming is oh, working. Yeah. No, Especially if you take your ideas and actually do them. If you're not the kind of person who takes your ideas and does something with them, yeah, you're wasting your time by sitting there and being creative. But if you sit, if you take your ideas and bring them out into the real world and take a risk, brainstorm away. There's dude, nothing wrong with sitting there daydreaming. Dude, now. I spend like two to three hours a day just active music listening. Every single day. You have to. Every single day. And especially because like, I mean, I'm directing a team of producers, so it makes sense for me to pass along that to them. But it's so important. Not not only that, Drew, how many hours have we talked ideas? I mean, I mean, it's it's minimum an hour to two hours a day of us on the phone. And that's just that doesn't even count. Sometimes it's an hour per phone call. I'm not even kidding. It's an hour. per. And and I sometimes will like not even do other stuff like make posts or like even, you know, manage the team, do all that shit. Because because I know that out of that one conversation, a good idea down the line could be huge. Absolutely. I mean, we've just been talking for a couple hours today and I feel like I've known you guys for a lifetime just from <laughs> yeah. the amount of ideas we've shared already. That's why I like, it's really insane. Yeah. That's why I like the in-person stuff, getting people out here, just like actually like meeting and chilling, you know? I'm so, an in-person kind of person too. Yeah. It's way better. And the relationships last like a thousand times longer. Yep. Um, and, and also like sometimes like you meet somebody in person and they're different. Like for example, it's like, like, like sometimes you don't know that person fully. You just kind of know their brand. Or you think you know them, yeah. Or yeah, you think you know them. But then when you actually go meet them, you're like, oh, that's just that guy. You know what I'm saying? I got a question for you guys. What? When you met me, was it what you were expecting or was it something different? I, don't, I didn't know what I expected. So it's kind of weird. <laughs> uh, How about you, Steve? Not what I expected. I'll just throw it out. All right, I'll take that. Not what I expected. Honestly, either either answer is a good answer. (laughs) I didn't know what to expect. That was that was the biggest thing. Production knowledge, I expected this. Honestly, I think you guys didn't realize I'd be so chill. (laughs) (laughs) I think you're I think you're also curious in a good way. 
I'm very curious. Yeah, I could tell how curious you are. And honestly, sometimes you can measure somebody's intelligence based on the types of questions they ask. I firmly believe that. Like, I think, like, the, the shit they say about there's no such thing as a stupid question, dude. You know how many people shoot themselves in the foot in the music industry? Because yep. the first message to a big producer, a big label, a big manager, anybody, there's is a stupid question you could just Google. I'm like, dude, just Google it. Yeah. Save your important questions if you want to connect with those people and stuff that actually matters that you can't just find on a two second Google search. Yeah, it's amazing that nowadays you could directly reach out to anybody you want, literally anybody, and there's a chance that they'll read it and reply personally. What a crazy time to be alive. Dude, you could reach out. You guys reached out to me and I replied and all of a sudden we're here. It's insane. Just through an Instagram message There's no too, reason the not to reach out to somebody and ask them something. But that being said, like Steve said, make sure you're asking them a good question that they're not going to reply and be like, uh, Google it. Because <laughs> that means that you didn't ask them a good question. But if you ask them a good question, those people are interested in you because they know that your brain is working the right way. Or like, I can't get this to work in FL, like a support question. I'm like, why are you yeah. asking me how to get something? Like, dude, you can need to We go don't to own FL Studio, bro. Go <laughs> to the forum. Image line or, support. Or you have to search the problem, the error message that pops up, the thing, and dig through fucking forms. Do you know That's how many it. people ask me how to install AutoTune in Ableton? I don't sell AutoTune, Antares yeah. does. But, like, um, but people hit me up and ask me for that. So but, there, yeah, there's, there's a lot of things that you could ask a person, but maybe you should ask a company or ask a Google search first yeah. and then reserve the, the in-person questions for things that are specifically for that person, yeah. not something that's for Can I just say, if you're going to do that, you should might as well pack up the bags and not even do music. If you can't figure shit out, basic shit on your computer, you're done yep. from the beginning. I mean, how much shit have you had to sit there and figure yeah, out? Yeah, if you're not good at troubleshooting, good luck. I mean, you're, you can't even be a producer. You might no. as well just stop. I mean, producer, it's not to be mean, but... A producer in a lot of ways almost resembles like a software engineer. Mm -hmm. you know yeah, it's a software engineer, a musician, uh, a, a online personality, an entrepreneur. It's so many things now. I feel like I wear so many hats, there's not even space left on my head for more hats. <laughs> what, uh, what, made you, what made you decide to go into the YouTube route? Uh, because you have so much success kind of behind the scenes doing a lot of different production work with a lot of big names. What made you do the, the YouTube thing? There's two reasons. The first reason is out of all the social media platforms, YouTube has the lowest ratio of people posting on it. If you go on Instagram, half of the users You're are kind posting. kind of hitting your head there. Maybe more. Oh. Wait, let me help you here. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I appreciate that. If you put it that. way back, actually. Yeah, yeah there we go. There we go. There we go. Is that better? Yep. So like I was saying... On YouTube, not so many creators are actually posting stuff. Most of the people are viewers. So it's a very easy social media to attack just because if you're posting something, you're already standing out from the crowd. Whereas on Instagram, everyone's posting stuff. So you're not really standing out by posting stuff. It's really interesting. Um, so I chose YouTube for that reason. And the second reason is... I like long format content. I like sitting with people for more than 10 minutes. And that's not an Instagram or Twitter thing. Dude. You know, there's not too many social media platforms that accept content longer than 10 minutes. Dude, I'm, I'm 100% that same way, man. I sit there and plow through like sometimes like two hour conference videos, like on a regular every single morning. Yeah, there's a lot of amazing information to be found out there on YouTube, which is another reason why I love it. Yeah. I remember, dude, even the, one of the things that people don't know about back in the day, I'm sure they have some updated stuff, but I, I remember like music conferences, like even guys like ADE or like any of the big, like behind the scenes conferences, yep. almost getting no plays are like these keynote sessions or like these fireside chat type sessions where it's like, 
the fucking the CEO of a giant record label talking about different things. And like the producers like don't even like look that way. You yeah. know what I'm saying? And there's like shit to learn, I think, for like a lot of stuff like that. Yeah, there's so many events with amazing knowledge going down and they all end up on YouTube. I absolutely love that because whenever I feel like I missed out on something, I can almost always find something good about it on YouTube and get an idea of what happened. Yeah. So I got a good question for you. Um, yeah. If you had $500 and you're trying to set up a studio, what would you do? Do I already have a laptop or no? Uh, let's say yes. Let's just go okay. on the assumption that you do. And, and, and with and the doll, doll on it? Yeah, you got your doll. Yeah, okay, you got so your you doll got, picked out. You got. I'm talking just pure studio gear. What okay, so accessories. What would I start with? Mm -hmm. um, I would probably get the best low-cost interface I could, and that's probably the Focusrite 2i2. Mm -hmm. And that would just get uh, the sound to the speakers. But I guess I would need some headphones um, because if I had a, such a small budget, I would probably would be living in an apartment and wouldn't be able to use speakers anyways. So I would probably get a pair of AKG headphones to plug into my audio interface. I'm actually get the headphones first and then the interface because you don't even need an interface if you're using headphones. So you're going to need some really good headphones. I like my audio technical ones mm -hmm. and uh, I really like the Focusrite interfaces. But I don't know. I might just ball out all 500 bucks and get an Apollo because those are my favorite interfaces. <laughs> <laughs> I think it would be worth it in the long yep. term for the quality. I yeah. Know. I invest in quality, invest in the future. So you know what? I take that back. I'm going to blow all 500 on an Apollo. <laughs> and you're just going to mix on your laptop speaker? Dude, I'm not going to lie. When yeah, I had and surgery, then produce on laptop speakers <laughs> until I, I have had, a hit and buy some. <laughs> I had surgery uh, in February and I produced on laptop speakers for like three or four months. And I swear to God, it helped my mix so much. Absolutely. Because like, most listeners use laptop speakers or iPhone speakers. So if you start out with that, you're already starting out with something that's going to sound good to those listeners. And that's really important. Yeah. You're already mixing for the final product. I think that was actually a shocker when Drew was fucking whipping up things even over here. Yep. Um, just on laptop. What do you, so what do you think about newer, newer guys? Cause like, I think a lot of people make excuses about they don't have the right equipment not to, you know, make the right type of records or something like that. Do you, do you think like if you had, let's say just even like a stock doll that you could do a lot of very professional work? Absolutely. I think some of my most professional work just gets made with the stock plugins in the DAW. And um, I, I really don't think there is any excuse in this day and age. There is no, there's no excuse you could possibly make uh, other, other than uh, the world caved in or something to, to, to say, oh, I couldn't figure out how to do music or I wanted to make a song, but I didn't. There really is absolutely no excuse. If you have the tools, which is just the computer and the DAW, and you have the time to just try a few things, you're going to be left with a song. You know, you don't, it doesn't have to be an amazing song. It doesn't have to sound just like the song that you were listening to yesterday. But if you can make a song, then you're getting started. There's your first song. Your first one's not going to be amazing, but it's your first one. And that's the most important one because that gets the ball moving and you start making more and more and more. And you'll notice that it gets better and better every single time. Mm -hmm. So there really is no excuse Obviously, it's not going to sound great in the beginning, but that's not an excuse to stop. That's that's the reason to keep going. Yeah. So while we're on that subject, uh, what's your favorite, maybe let's say Ableton stock plugins that aren't the obvious stuff like EQ8 or something? Oh, um, they just dropped a brand new one called Channel EQ. That sounds freaking amazing. I haven't even heard of that. So thank you. Yeah. Channel EQ. It's uh, a really simplified version of EQ8. But the high shelf sounds really nice, whereas the high shelf on EQ8 can get pretty harsh. And that's the magic of channel EQ. And the other one that I use an absolute lot is um, Drums Bus. But 
that I guess that one's not super secretive, but Drums Bus is probably better as a limiter than the actual limiter that comes with Ableton. I mean, I, I don't think a lot of people know about that. That thing is awesome. Check out Drums Bus. Yeah, yeah. it's really um, good. Right. Dude, you mentioned uh, you were talking about Henry Fong earlier. It seems like, dude, you know everybody out in L.A., man. Yeah, me and Henry Fong actually hang out a lot together. We go surfing in the morning and we do jujitsu in the evening. Oh, wow. And sometimes we even make music in the middle of the day. So it's almost like having a brother. Oh, shit. You, you do jujitsu too? Yeah, me and Henry Fong started training jujitsu a couple months ago. We're both getting pretty good at it. Dude, that's crazy. Because when he first got on the episode, he was talking about jujitsu. Yeah, he, he got me to try it. Oh, shit. Yeah. That? that must be pretty crazy for a puppet to do jujitsu ju- against humans. It's not so bad. I'm starting to get some submissions, some neck, some, uh, some neck, uh, what, what the hell is it called? I don't even remember. Um, <laughs> hey, we'll, we'll, we'll just talk about something else because I'm too new to this to say something smart about jujitsu. <laughs> wait, basically, it seems I just like, signed up a couple months ago. <laughs> wait, straight up, who wins, you or, you or Henry? Um, Man, that's he's actually submitted me before, but I think now that I've been practicing and got, uh, I can, I, I, I'm familiar with his attacks now. I don't think he's going to submit me. Oh. It would be a draw at this point. But oh, ask wow. me in a year, I will whoop that ass. Dude, hey Jordan, <laughs> how good is that for exercise though? Because oh, it's the best. That's awesome. I'm yeah. gonna do that maybe eventually. I might have to try it out. Oh, you Seems have fun. to. I, I absolutely love it. It's it's a great challenge for your mind and for your body. And I noticed that when I would work out, I would just lift a weight and count to 10 and then stop. But with jujitsu or any kind of uh, martial art, you don't get that option where you, you can stop once you've counted to 10. It's not like weightlifting where you pick how many you're going to do and then you do it. With this, it's like do or die. You got someone bigger than you trying to choke you out and you got to stay as, in there as long as you can. What do you, so it's great exercise. What do you think about like, because I, I like a lot of there's like certain stuff i mean me and drew are like big advocates of healthy lifestyle and stuff is yep. there anything else like that you think is good for producers you know in that category oh, man. of like lifestyle things um breakfast is super important you don't want to bog yourself down with a really heavy breakfast so if you can avoid greasy foods bread foods all that stuff for breakfast i actually prefer to have some fruit and vegetable smoothies for breakfast or scramble up some eggs if i'm looking for something more solid but other than that Breakfast isn't something that I focus too much on. I found that I got a lot healthier when I let the morning go hungry and wait to eat until the afternoon. So that was a big one for me. And also just exercising first thing in the morning. When you get out of bed, you need to stretch. You need to wake your body up. You need to get ready for the day. You can't just get out of bed and then sit down in a chair and expect yourself to be performing at your peak. You really got to warm up. And those warmups that you do for your body translate into your mind. The way you think after you've done a physical warmup is way different than the way you think when you just roll out of bed and start producing. Dude, so yeah. morning routine for me is hanging from the pull-up bar. Even if I'm not doing pull-ups, just hanging from the bar wakes your arms up, wakes your hands up. It wakes your fingers up, which seems ridiculous, but obviously you use your fingers to produce music the most. So uh, having strong hands, strong arms, and a good wake up in the morning routine will get you going in the right direction for sure. No, that's uh, that's awesome. See, I knew there was something with you not finishing that Chick Fil A sandwich. I was yep. like, oh, that's why this fucker's in shape. <laughs> I was he, he's sitting there judging me over. There I never had Chick Fil A before. I really liked the, it though. Yeah. Oh, you never had Chick Fil A? <laughs> no, man. Yeah, we got Chick Fil A. Oh, wow. we did get Chick Fil A. Yeah. How's eating? Crazy. I was like, man, I was like, I knew, I knew there was, I, I weirdly study people's diets because people in shape always choose better shit than people not in shape. I'll tell you, I say, tell you that straight up. I've noticed with things like that, I love the way it tastes, but my appetite for it went way down. When I started eating a lot of fruits and vegetables, it really killed my tolerance for dense foods like sandwiches, things that are between pieces of bread, things that are fried. 
Um, I, I love the way it tastes, but I just can't eat that much of it anymore. Yeah. So that really helped me too, is just losing my tolerance for really saturated stuff or alcohol or soda or anything that you would normally need to develop a taste for that you could end up doing a lot of. I don't really do too much of it all. Yeah. A lot of people out in LA think they can just party their ass off and make it in the music industry. Getting fucked up every night, doing all kinds I of mean, shit. I mean, you can make it. You, just how long can you How long can you last? <laughs> keep yeah. Going. yeah, you'll make it to the side of the PCH like a hitchhiker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, so this is a completely kind of different question, but uh, maybe talk about uh, your placements and stuff. How do you actually pitch the beats to the artist? That comes from a management team. If you don't have a management team or great personal relationships with the artists that you're trying to pitch to, it's going to be a really tough thing to do. Because how do you get somebody else who doesn't know you to care about a song that you made at home while they weren't there? You know, it's a huge uphill battle. So if you want to make music for pitch, like if you don't see yourself being the artist, if you see yourself being a producer behind the artist, absolutely a route. It's just not an easy route to take. That's all about relationships. So you yourself are going to need some great relationships, or you're going to want to team up with a manager who has those great relationships. Or if you sign a deal with a label, that's usually one of the main perks. You almost have an instant relationship with everybody else who's on that team. So there's a couple ways in. You don't need a manager. You don't need a label. Like I said, if you have great personal relationships, but usually people team up for that kind of thing. That makes yeah. sense. A lot of people just think they're going to like send their beats out to Kanye or something and yeah, get placed. That's tough. <laughs> <laughs> hey, what about, uh, so obviously you've also like done a bunch of vocal work. Do you want to talk about working with a vocalist, pitching vocals and, and Absolutely. how that entire side of the business works? I think that's actually a super interesting route that a lot of people could aspire to go down. Yeah, I was mostly music production until me and Kara started working together regularly because Kara's obviously the vocal expert and I'm the production expert. And we came together and her and I really formed a production duo and we found vocal production to be one of our greatest strengths. On my side, I'm contributing sound quality, recording quality. And on her side, she's helping the performer sing better. She's helping the performer come up with better ideas. She's helping the performer do better takes. And she also helps pick which takes become the song comping it's called. Um, so vocal production is a team effort for me. It's not a one man band, um, like music production can be. Um, I really team up with Kara or having any vocal expert in there will help you so much. If you're more of a technical person who understands mixing and recording, having someone who's an expert singer in there to help the session go well, will give you so much better of a song than just being good at recording and letting the singer do their thing. Most singers are not experienced recording artists. And believe it or not, singing for a recording is a little bit different than singing live. A um, little bit more attention to detail would be the difference. So having someone who specifically knows singing as a professional will help your quality tremendously, even if you know all about plugins and microphones and manly Vox boxes and whatnot. Um, why do you prefer Pro Tools for recording? Pro Tools for recording is an industry standard, but that's not really my preference. My favorite thing for recording about it is the, you know how Ableton is always recording your MIDI. Mm -hmm. If you played something while you weren't recording, you can still get it. Mm -hmm. Pro Tools is basically always recording your audio. So if we weren't recording while it was playing and, and the singer was singing something, I can hit the punch button after they've already sang it. And as long as it's still playing, that recording is ours. 
So it saves my ass so many times that automatically recording feature. But obviously, once you have your recordings made, I think Pro Tools is the most streamlined for comping, cleaning up vocals, taking the breaths down, uh, organizing vocal sessions, and using a vocals template. I found it really hard to use mixing templates in other DAWs. For some reason, Pro Tools just seems like a natural workflow for me using templates, and that's really important. That's awesome. I literally just downloaded Pro Tools this morning because yep. you're Time, here. I'll, I'll help you set up your Pro Tools template. <laughs> oh, I'm so excited, man. <laughs> it's going to be lit. <laughs> um, what are we at on time right now? About 48 minutes. Damn, that, this 40, is pretty good. Yeah. Pretty good. Yep. Oh, yeah. 48 We're killing. Minutes. This is fun. I mean, honestly, kind of 48 minutes of no fluff even, man. Yeah. This yeah. Has I mean, been, shit, bro. You've been coming up with production heat. This is, by the way, guys, you're watching this. Watch this shit four times and take notes. Yep. You know what I'm saying? You fluff can, free. Yeah. Can you explain audio suites? Because I think that's another cool thing about Pro Tools that convinced me. And oh, yeah. So there is this really unique menu in Pro Tools called Audio Suite, and it lets you pull up a plugin and print it directly to any piece. So instead of putting the plugin in the mixer and having the audio signal go through it, it changes the way that clip sounds. So if you want to put a low cut on your pre-chorus, you can highlight that clip, go to the audio suite menu and drop the low cut right onto the audio. And then once you print it, you've got low cutted audio there on the timeline. It's not like a plugin that stays running for the rest of your session. So that's really, really useful for flipping clips backwards uh, there's a turntable stop effect in there called verify. That is just, it's, it's the turntable stop effect. Just like the like kind of way that, uh, curse words get censored in rap music. That's the verify sound that that plugin is really, really essential to me now. I feel like I'm watching your, uh, your pro tools video. You pretty much are watching a pro tools <laughs> video right now. If you're listening, by to the this way, podcast. everybody should definitely check out Risa Fon's channel. I mean, literally out of any production channels, I don't really watch YouTube tutorials ever. And that's, he's the only ones that I watch. So. Well, thank you. Yeah. It's all Ableton and pro tools. There's a couple logic tutorials, but for the most part, Ableton beats pro tools for vocals. That's what my channel's about. So you use logic too. I use logic just for some tutorials to show the basics. Actually, that was the first DAW I knew. So I remembered how to use Logic and it was easy for me to make a vocals tutorial about it, but I don't ever use Logic for anything if I don't have to, because I don't find it to be particularly great at anything. Um, uh -oh, it was just the most accessible to me. <laughs> logic people. <laughs> Sorry, logic people. Dude, one time, one time we had a roast session on Android people, like a probably 25 minute segment, just roasting Android. Versions. Going in on Android users. Uh, people, yeah. people, I mean, dude, the upload the, quality, the so upload shit. quality on a social media looks so bad. If you're using Android, man, you know what else looks bad when they up. text you and it shows up that horrible green, green color. <laughs> Everybody. Makes me not even want to reply. <laughs> That's so true. No offense. Dude, Android users oh, have no man. idea that they're naturally being like selected not to be replied. That to. their text messages are just painful to look at. <laughs> yeah. What 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 do you see like your career going in, man? Like like what's the next like five, ten years look like? Where are you trying to get to with your production career? I see whole loops becoming an online academy. I see my production credits expanding tremendously. I see whole loops growing into a really big business. I I plan on doing a lot more outside of just whole loops in my own production. I love developing artists. I love seeing projects through from the beginning. Um, so man, there's such a wide variety of things that I do, but what's absolutely happening is the credits are getting bigger and better and whole loops is getting bigger and better out every day. That's mm. the goal. No, that's awesome, man. Awesome. You want to, uh, you want to wrap it up here pretty soon? Yeah, we can, um, and do, let him do a plug for whatever 
he wants, and then a giveaway too would be awesome. Oh yeah. yeah. So so first off, where where do you want our audience to go, listeners? Where should they go check you out? Or, you the know. best place to check me out would be on Instagram because I post fun content and educational content on Instagram. But if you're looking for the hard hitting educational lessons, then you got to go look up Reed Stefan on YouTube because that's where we really go in. Instagram clips tend to be short. Um, and tend to be more entertaining. YouTube stuff tends to be more educational, but I really love both. I consider my content infotainment. That's my favorite word, infotainment. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, you have to be entertaining these days. Yep, infotaining too. If if uh, if you're trying to build a business, infotaining helps a lot. Hell yeah. Um, sweet. Are we gonna go to the bonus round? Uh, yeah. Do yeah. you want to do a giveaway? Uh, yeah. So we'll we do can two just things. get a piece of equipment out of the closet. You want to? <laughs> Yeah. We're giving away cool. this mic right here. Who wants this mic? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's funny. We we have a, a clo- we have multiple closets. Oops. Oh, shit. There's a lot of stuff. I want to yeah. add a whole loops gift card to the giveaway. Yeah, yeah. for sure. So we, we what we usually do is um, we usually hop back here, grab something fucking random, and just do a giveaway. Damn, it's like Santa Claus's closet well, dude, in there. What so, the hell? <laughs> so we give away so much stuff, but if there's oh. let's say a winner is from Europe or something, then all of a sudden it's better just to buy it in Europe and send it to them. So we end yep. up with extra gear. These will be fun. Oh, uh, what is DT it? Pros. Got some DT pros. Hell yeah. Cool. Awesome. So DT pros and maybe we could do, you want to do uh, two whole loops gift cards and two max yeah. gift cards. So we'll do four total. Yep. Sweet. Perfect. hundred dollar gift cards. Yep. And I'll do two whole loops golden bundles. That's the whole package. Damn, look at Sweet. this guy. He's one, he's one up. Over here. Now we're doing the Cymatics golden bundle now. <laughs> now <laughs> yeah. the, two more Cymatics bundles on top of that. The Cymatics golden bundle, you'd have to probably buy a whole new hard drive just to accept that product because you guys have so much oh, yeah. stuff. It's yeah. ridiculous. Cool. All right, cool. Well, there's about, yeah. there's a ton of prizes now. So. Yeah. So, awesome. So if you guys want a chance to win one of the prizes, all you have to do is comment below your favorite uh, spot on the podcast episode. Yes. And we always love timestamps. We love to go back to those magic moments. We'll post them on Instagram, the whole nine. Uh, but yeah, just comment your favorite moment below. And uh, yeah, we'd like to hear it. Also, it helps the podcast. Like, if you guys also just comment, like, give us some fucking feedback. You know, if you like yeah. Reed, we'll get Reed back. Or just here. questions for us to ask in the future. Yeah. We definitely read through them. I reply to a lot of comments too. I think that's a great way to interact with people, obviously, but a great way to help more than one person. You'd think when you're replying to a comment that you're only helping one person. But if you reply to a YouTube comment, Thousands of people are going to see that. That's true. You don't know who had that question and who you just answered that question for. So mm-hmm. I love replying to comments because that's like making a tutorial in 10 seconds, just and, writing a sentence to somebody's and, question. And then screenshotting it and putting it on your Instagram stories yep. and stuff. You know? Especially if it's something that a lot of people ask you. Oh, yeah. We probably need to do a little more of that answering question that YouTube comes to. We got so much going on, like in terms of like audiences yep. on every different platform. It turns into a fucking nightmare. Yeah, you just probably email. got a whole team of people just helping just answer ha- questions and all yeah, that stuff. 100%. Man. Oh, my goodness. We just got a new office just for that, just yeah. for filling with people who answer questions. <laughs> An office just to reply to comments. <laughs> basically, that's literally what it is, yeah. basically. Because, do we kind of act like support sometimes for even like Serum, for example. Yeah. If they're buying our Serum presets, obviously, like, why aren't they loading? Well, it's like, well, it's obviously a Serum related update. Obviously, Sarum. you didn't fucking buy Serum. Yeah, same thing with Whole Loops. <laughs> when you buy a Whole Loops pack and you email customer support, you're getting a reply from me. You're, you're, uh, it's a one man band over here. So cool. Yeah. Sweet. Well, let's go into the bonus round. So pretty much, we're gonna dive deep with some. Uh, we'll try to get some juicy production questions in there. Uh, but what this is, if you guys are watching this right now on YouTube or wherever you're watching it, um, this is going to be the audio only portion, meaning it's only going to be on SoundCloud um, or Spotify or the podcast app, Stitcher, the whole nine. So check out the YouTube description starting yep. now. 
Cool. So welcome to the audio round. Cool. I mean, we can talk about some more Pro Tools stuff. I mean, uh, and I don't even need to hold the puppet up anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, you do because they still create micros. Oh yeah, that's probably yeah. yeah, yeah. We're 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 doing this for like like two minutes. I'll just do it the same way then. We got like two minutes of this. It's not it's not long. My arm is good. Cut that out, by the way. Whoever. My arm is still fresh. (laughs) Okay, cool. All right, cool. Um, Yeah, we can uh, go into some more Pro Tools stuff. I love Uh, Pro Tools. So what's your favorite Pro Tools plugins besides the ones you've mentioned already? Because I've seen you mention other ones in your videos. Uh, There is a plugin called Lo-Fi that comes with Pro Tools, and it sounds so good to bit reduce things with. I put it on background vocals. I put it on ad libs. I put it on synths. Anything that you would want to, uh, anything that you might put a filter on and, and do a high cut or a low pass, I guess you got anything that you would low pass. I always pull this lo-fi plugin on and use the low pass in that. Mm. It sounds amazing. What's some other lo-fi plugins you like? RC20 is obviously one of the best lo-fi sounding plugins for sure. Um, using Ableton's sampler creatively can definitely help you achieve some great lo-fi effects. The parameters on all the tabs in sampler, there's like the pitch and oscillator tab and the, uh, like the MIDI tab. There's great options in there to lo-fi your samples. I'm trying to think of what other plugins are a really easy way to make something sound old. Have you uh, tried sketch cassette? No, I've seen it though. I really want to try Dude, that one. That sounds it, cool. Man. It's it's definitely. I've been going to it more uh, than RC twenty for like the mm. just like uh, the tape saturation sound and the wobble. Though I think the wobbles sound way better. Mm. Um, I got to try yeah, that then. It's pretty yeah. interesting. Do, do you have a uh, maybe an EQ tip for the audience? If there's one tip for using EQ effectively. Ooh, um, start out with subtractive EQ and remove what you don't want and then use an EQ to add what you do want. So if there's something that feels harsh in the mid-range, it's usually 2.5K, especially if you're talking about vocals. So I go and take that out with a precision kind of EQ like Fab Filter, and then I'll go and add brightness with something that's less specific like the Pultec or the MAGA EQ that I talked about earlier. Um, So I start out by reducing and then I boost. I know a lot of people say, oh, I always reduce or, oh, I always boost. I do both, but I always do reducing first and then boosting later. Mm. Reducing would also include low cuts. Like obviously the very first plug in my vocals hit is a low cut, just the FabFilter Pro-Q uh, with 80 hertz rolled off. And that's reducing. And then that gets through some compressors. And then after all the compressors, some EQ to boost the brightness back up. What's your favorite dB slope? Ooh, for For a, Pro-Q. For an EQ, for an EQ, for the for the low cut specifically, I already know twenty four. I already know this answer because I watched your videos. Twenty four <laughs> for sure. I don't feel like I can hear twelve, and I feel like anything above twenty four, I can hear too much. So twenty four is like that perfect sweet spot for me, Dude, where you don't hear it getting low cutted. Is there any actual reason for like a brick wall, like in the Isotope, the one that just completely flies? Is there any situation you ever use that? Hmm. I don't think I've ever brick wall low cutted something. It seems like it would create an awful lot of resonance around That's where that I thought corner is. I don't is. know what it's for. I've just I've yeah. always been curious. It's in there. It seems, I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure what I would be willing to add that much resonance to. So I've never gone for the brick wall low cut. All right. Why don't we cut. do one more? How about a uh, your go-to mastering plugin? Ooh, Ozone 9 is my saucy jam <laughs> because <laughs> they added low-end focus and when you switch that thing into mid-side mode, and I can't take credit for this trick, I went to go see Luca Predalesi, the mastering engineer, do a seminar 
and he showed a master chain using Ozone 9 and he switched low end focus into mid side mode. And man, that thing sounds amazing. So Ozone 9 is really, really good, especially considering you can use the individual modules as plugins. So I use Ozone 9, the all-in-one on the master, but I'll take Ozone 9 Exciter and I'll just put it on the drums group. And then I'll take Ozone 9 Imager and I'll just put it on the synths group. And then I'll take Ozone 9 Dynamics and I'll just put that on the vocals group. So not only am I using Ozone for the actual master chain, I'm using modules within it to glue my mix together nicely too. So shout out to Isotope for, for making Ozone 9. Honestly, every Ozone is hot. It doesn't matter if you have eight or four, they're all hot. But low end focus that comes with nine is a really unique and useful tool. I've seen so many people talking about that. Um, yeah, for a good reason. Cool. Well, I think that's it. Yeah. We can wrap it up. Boom. Boom. Thanks for coming on the show, man. That Are you kidding episode. Thank you guys. This is so much fun. I had never even been to Georgia before. So coming out here was an adventure. <laughs> Meeting you guys was an absolute trip. And like I was saying, just in the short amount of time that we've spent talking together, I feel like I've known you guys for years and years and years. So yeah, obviously you guys much. are very special people too. So I got to thank you. Yeah. Appreciate it, man. Thank you. Yeah. Appreciate it, man. Thank you. Yeah. Appreciate it. Man.